brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Ramsey Show are for informational and educational purposes only. It is not intended to provide and should not be relied upon for accounting, legal, tax, or investment advice. Please consult with a professional specializing in these areas regarding the applicability of this information to your situation. All things finance and business leading you to success at work, at home, and in life. It's the Dr. Doug Ramsey Show. And now, here's your host, Dr. Doug Ramsey. Welcome to the Dr. Doug Ramsey Show. I'm your host, Dr. Doug Ramsey, broadcasting live for the Mojo 50 Studios. In the studios with me, producer Ron Phillips. Good morning, Ron, good morning. How are you? I'm good. Another crazy week. It seems like there's a lot of those lately. Yeah, well, and it's not <laughs> just uh, not just in business and finance, but uh, politics and it seems like everything else. Um, I just got on uh, the uh, CNBC side this morning doing a little show prep before I raced into the studios and uh, uh, saw this article about a company, a restaurant up in New York City called the Fat Radish. And the Fat Radish, uh, unfortunately for this proprietor, uh, she's having to shut down. And it turns out when uh, CNBC took a look at the data, 37% of all the restaurants uh, in New York, uh, per the Restaurant Association up there, missed their uh, July rent payments. And they predict, the association predicts, that uh, over a third of uh, all restaurants in the New York City area are not going to uh, open back up uh, at post-pandemic. So it's just, uh, you know, wreaking carnage all over uh uh, Manhattan. And uh, it's a problem across the entire country. I mean, we're seeing it uh, down here in Texas and uh, you see it everywhere. So it's unfortunate. And uh, this particular restaurateur, uh, she opened up a uh, uh, another concept uh, about a year ago. And she said she's going to focus all her energy on that concept and try to give that a go because she's able to do uh, some other things. Uh, the fat radish doesn't have enough outside seating to uh, accommodate um, uh, outdoor dining because the street's too narrow and the sidewalk's too narrow that uh, they can't shift to that. And then apparently any type of takeout options just don't uh, work in that neighborhood either. But really unfortunate and, uh, you know, something we're, uh, we're going to see uh, continuing until uh, we get this economy back on track. 
one of the things that uh, business owners ought to check into, particularly with the uh, the latest stimulus package getting all hung up and uh, you know in a big uh, uh, stalemate, and that is look to your local cities or your counties and see if there's any type of stimulus package uh, or uh, grant money that's available that's outside of the Small Business Association, the SBA programs, or outside of any federal government uh, programs. Uh, And remember, the SBA had the Triple P program, the Payroll Protection Program. You also had the EIDL, which is that Economic Injury Disaster Loan Program that uh, was available. And, uh, you know, beyond that, look at that local level. And I could tell you just uh, here in the North Texas area, the uh, Tarrant County government, uh, they set up a small business assistance uh, grant fund, and that grant fund, they allocated um, uh, quite a bit of money to that for businesses that are still operating uh, in the Tarrant County region. And uh, there was an application process. Uh, you supply bank statements. You tell them what your liabilities are. Uh, and you go through a number of steps, uh, tell them a little bit of history about the business, and then you uh, uh, submit all that information. They have a team that uh, reviewed all the applications, and actually uh, they started mailing out checks um, on Friday. So uh, these local businesses here are getting a little bit uh, of additional uh, help or relief that uh, is sorely needed um, among you know, many, many business owners. So uh, look at that local level uh, and look for creative programs that uh, your your local government and county leaders uh, might have put in place. That's another option that's uh, available. All right. Switching gears a little bit. This ties the business end. Uh, it also ties to um, some politics a little. And that is in California. California with uh, handguns has a magazine capacity limit. And Ron, I don't know uh, your thoughts about this, but you know, if you're carrying a handgun for personal protection, you want to have as many rounds as, uh, as you can loaded into that handgun uh, because you never know how many you're going to need. And the worst situation you could wind up in, in is you run out of ammo. Right, you know, right when you need it, and California has had this limit put on the uh, handgun magazines where they can only have a ten-round capacity and no higher, uh, and that's the way it's been here for a while. It just doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. Why, uh, why limit the good guy if the good guy needs, you know, extra ammo? And so the Supreme Court in the uh, Ninth Circuit uh, or Appeals Court. That Ninth Circus, Circuit Appeals Court, um, they uh, just uh, struck that down, and it was a uh, split decision. It's a three-judge panel, but they uh, effectively uh, declared that unconstitutional under the Second Amendment, um, which, you know, that can be a real game-changer in California. Uh, it really, it really can do uh, a couple things. One is it's going to uh, increase magazine sales into California, and it's probably going to increase gun sales as well. Because any 
any um, FFL dealer, at an FFL, Federal Firearms Licensed Dealer, anywhere in the country, if they sell firearms into California or if you got a, a retailer right in California, they're limited to uh, the guns with the 10-round the capacity. So you can only sell Glocks with the 10-round capacity and so forth versus, you know, a typical Glock 19. You got uh, uh, 15 rounds, I think, in the magazine plus one in the chamber. So you can have effectively, you know, 16 rounds ready to ready to go. Um, they're not the same thing. Well, these FFL deal- dealers have been restricted in terms of um, which uh, gun capacities they could send out there uh, and actually um, promote. Well, now it's going to be a, a big game changer because that'll open the floodgates for uh, typical handguns that are sold in in other states. So you won't have that restriction anymore. So uh, it's kind of a uh, a big development. It's a big 2A development, and it's going to be a big development for the firearms industry. And if anybody has tried to get ammo or handguns lately anyway, it's virtually impossible to get them. The distributors are stocked out. Manufacturers are making them as fast as they can go. Uh, and ammo pricing has shot through the roof. Uh, ammo pricing has gotten to the point where uh, it's getting up to be, you know, uh, potentially a dollar round in in some cases, uh, and uh, I've got a good example. Uh, a friend of mine just bought two boxes of fifty round fifty round each ammo uh, per box for nine millimeter, and it was a hundred dollars plus shipping. So it was over uh, over a buck around just to get that in, and uh, it's just crazy. So uh, big game changer there. Especially if you're in the firearms, really, uh, really interesting, and it may change the landscape in California uh, a little bit as well uh, as it goes forward. All right, next uh, hot sports opinion here and hot topic is the uh, fracking ban that uh, comes along with Kamala Harris and her positions as the uh, uh, the VP candidate there for the Democratic Party. And a fracking ban is really, uh, it could potentially be a big issue uh, in Pennsylvania in terms of getting the the vote. And the reason is, especially in the southwest part of Pennsylvania, you've got a ton of fracking that goes on. Oil and gas is big up there. Um, The Marcellus Shale uh, covers a sweeping uh, area of Pennsylvania. And uh, if fracking gets banned, it's just going to cripple the oil and gas industry in in the state of Pennsylvania. Well, that's not going to get Biden and Harris votes. That absolutely won't. In fact, there may be enough of a shift change because of that one position she has on the fracking ban that they uh, they lose the state. And, uh, you know, without that position, they've they uh, have a real shot of keeping the state or or winning the state. Uh, If they maintain a fracking ban position and fall kind of the green, you know, that Green New Deal approach, 
Uh, it's going to be real tough to uh, to hang on to Pennsylvania. And Pennsylvania is obviously an important state to uh, win if they they have any uh, aspirations of getting into the White House. So uh, something to keep an eye on. You know, and there's arguments uh, to be made on both sides of this about fracking. The anti-frackers, you know, think it contaminates uh, the water and, and – uh, causes problems with the oil and all. But if you really look at oil and gas operations, when they drill the wells and then they wind up casing the wells, they actually put cement, a cement lining. They pour cement down those holes and they line uh, that circumference with with, uh, cement and they case it up. And so uh, unless you have some type of of breach of the um, casing, uh, through the water table, uh, that's that's about the only time you might have uh, a contamination issue. But as long as that the integrity of the casing stays uh, intact, uh, you know you're not going to have any contact with uh, with water and and have those issues that they um, they cite. So uh, it's just you know educating the public a little more. And there are risks. There's risks in anything. You can't control Mother Nature and, and uh, you know, how these wells, uh, you know, f- might uh, be maintained over the years. But uh, the companies are continually measuring and looking at pressures and, and uh, various other um, uh, data points. And those data points will alert them if they have some type of problem with the, uh, with the well and then they can go in and uh, actually uh, take a look. They can drop cameras down, see if there's some type of, uh, of breach. And if so, they can get in there and do repairs. So uh, that, uh, that's going to be an interesting one to watch. All right. So let's talk about uh, some direct finance uh, topics here. And one of the things I want to go over is – uh, really stepping back, and we talked about this a few shows ago about how to open up a brokerage account. And you know, for those of you that don't have a lot of finance experience, and uh, you really didn't get exposed to it in college, I mean, a lot of a lot of you took majors where it's outside of the business school or even within the business school. Uh, most students don't get a course in personal finance, so you get out of college and you uh, you chart your course going forward and you really don't uh don't have good ideas about how to manage your money uh your parents may have guided you and given you some good uh input but that's not always the case either so uh we talked about how to just open up a brokerage account uh and you can do it at ameritrade uh e-trade you know any of the uh, of a number of the uh discount brokerage houses uh, they have online applications. They have educational tools uh, right there on the site where if you're just a complete novice, and I was working with a uh, complete novice earlier in the week um, and walked, walked him through how to open up his account. Uh, he happened to do an E-Trade account, and I'm not endorsing one over the other, but um, he picked E-Trade, and uh he filled out the forms and they ask you about your uh, trading history, which in his case was uh, nil. Uh, ask you about your uh, uh, risk tolerance, 
So they have a series of questions that gauge of, you know, what type of investor you want to be. Are you doing it for income? Are you doing it for capital gains? Um, and then uh, are you uh, more risk averse or are you a risk seeker? Uh, and through all that, they gather that information and they're able to uh, guide you on, with their educational tools. And then uh, you can get out there and deep dive into any of any of those uh, brokerage uh, account videos um, that are there to help you out. So uh, we started with him uh, with an, uh, the first step of the application, and then it was transferring money into the account. So uh, he wound up doing a bank draft where you can hook up your bank account to it and then just say, I want to draft in uh, X amount of money. So let's just call it uh, $1,000. So he says, transfer $1,000, get it from my bank account. And when you're drafting from a bank account, you need two numbers. You need the account number and you need the ABA routing number. That ABA routing number is always nine digits. So if you if you call a customer service person, they give you 10 digits or 12 digits, it ain't going to work. All right, they're nine digits. Get that, and you can find them on the bottom of your checks. So any uh, checks you have on that account, look at the bottom and look for the nine-digit string that's in that MICR code uh, at the bottom of your checks. That's going to be the ABA routing number. Uh, and then uh, also in that that MICR code string is going to be the account number and then the check number. So uh, you just thought it was a whole bunch of numbers that may not have meant anything to you, but that's really what it is because um, when that check clears, uh, the clearing system has to know that it needs to go to uh, a, an account at Bank of America. And then once it reaches out to an account at Bank of America, it has to know which account to go to. So it's got to go to your particular account. So that's why they need both pieces of information, the bank ID, which is that ABA routing number, and then the account number, which ties it right to your individual checking account. And then uh, when you set this draft up, it reaches out, pulls that $1,000 across, and it may take uh, several days because they have to establish the connection first to the bank and make sure it matches up with you because uh, your your name needs to be on the account as well, obviously. And then uh, once that uh, connection is established and validated, then they'll draft the money in. So once that money's in your account, uh, you can wind up uh, doing trades. And you'll see that you have X amount of buying power. And uh, once that goes from zero to the $1,000 you had drafted in, then you're ready to go. You got $1,000 to work with. And now you can buy um, stocks or bonds, whatever uh, uh, <clears throat> you're focused on, and put an order in. So that's where we wound up uh, moving to the next step with, uh, uh, with this gentleman and said, all right, what stock do you uh, do you want to get? So he identified a publicly traded stock that he was interested in that's uh, high growth and uh, happened to be RAP Technologies and the ticker symbol is WRTC. So we go into the order page for buying stock. We punch in the ticker symbol WRTC and then uh, we said, all right, well, where's it trading? So when you put the ticker symbol in, it'll bring up the last uh, trade. And so that last trade, you see what the 
the price was. Well, you can take that price and do a little calculation and say, if I've got a thousand bucks to spend and the price was, you know, $10 a share, I can buy a hundred shares. Now, keep in mind, you're going to have typically a little bit of commission to pay. Most of these discount houses, they're, you know, $9.99, something like that on a uh, small order of that size. Um, He actually gets a a promotional discount because it's his first trade where they waive the commission completely. So he has 100% of what he put in there available to uh, um, spend on the trade. So we put in, um, call it that 100, 100 shares. Uh, that he wants to buy. And then the next thing you want to do, you can set uh, the price you want to pay. And uh, we always recommend you set a limit order. And a limit order says, I don't want to pay, if it just traded at $10 a share on the last trade, you don't want to pay more than $10. Or maybe you don't want to pay, even pay 10 bucks. You might want to pay $9.95. You are hoping it'll trade back down uh, and trade at or below 995 and then then you want to trigger the uh, the trade so <clears throat> you can wind up setting that um, that limit and the reason you want to put a limit on anyway is you don't want that stock price just running up for whatever reason you're not paying attention you're getting yourself something to eat or you know you went out for lunch and you come back and all of a sudden the stock's trading at $13 or $14 a share and uh, you just never, um, uh, you wind up, uh, that's what, what you wind up paying if you just put it in without a limit. So um, that's just called a market order. It clears it, whatever that, um, that next trade price winds up being. All right, so uh, let's take a little break there. And uh, let me tell you about our uh, good friend, Tony Vaccaro. Uh, Tony's been in the insurance business his entire career. Great guy. Uh, if you want to get a free look at your um, insurance and estate planning situation, see if there are any ways to tune it up uh, and maybe reposition uh, your plans a little bit to get uh, more bang for the buck uh, at the end of the day, let Tony uh, take a look at that. He's got a whole team of professionals that can get in there and really scrub your uh your plans and any trust documents and, and give you their, uh, recommendations on, um, whether or not, uh, you even need to make any changes. Maybe you've got uh, a really nice setup already. You can reach Tony at 214-837-3512. That's 214-837-3512. Or go to his website, www.independentapg.com independentapg.com and APG is for advanced planning group. Uh, give him a call or uh, go check him out on his website uh, and, and uh, make sure you said uh, or tell him that Dr. Doug Ramsey sent you over. All right. So doing that first trade, put a limit order in, don't just do it at market. And then the other choice um, you make is, is just good for the day, which means if it, doesn't uh, trade by the end of the day, your order gets canceled, or you can do an order that uh, actually extends out. You can go up to typically 60 days, and that's basically called a, a good till canceled order, but uh, the brokerage houses like to put a, 
finite time and 60 is what uh, E-Trades got established as their standard. So you could leave the order in place for uh, up to 60 days. So if the stock trades up above 10 and doesn't come back down to 10 or below until um, three weeks from now, and you've got that good till canceled order in, well, your trade's going to get executed three weeks from now. So um, probably uh, it's probably a better idea to do the, uh, the date limit or the day trade only and uh, put in that day order because that way you don't forget about it because uh, three weeks from now you may have allocated that money you know to some other trade and you forgot all about your uh, your open order and then they trade the order and all of a sudden you know e-trade or ameritrade is knocking on your door saying hey you owe us a thousand dollars for this trade we just executed for you uh, earlier today and you already spent that original thousand dollars on something else in the account. And now you've got to come up with another thousand bucks and uh, you're going to have to go find that somewhere. So uh, don't get trapped, uh, trapped with that. So uh, probably a day order is the, the way to go. Well, uh, that's how you get that uh, initial trade uh, done. And then you wind up with the shares in your account, and then you can follow it uh, all through the day. There's some great apps for the phones where you can punch in a ticker symbol and then track that, and it'll give you uh, what it's doing during the day. And uh, uh, you can follow it. You can see the volume for the day, uh, 52 weeks of high, highs and lows. And so, all right, we'll get back uh, into more of that uh, personal financial talk here in the uh, few minutes and uh, we'll do that right after these commercials. You've been listening to the Dr. Doug Ramsey Show. It's Doc Thompson for Matthew 25 Ministries. Matthew 25 Ministries is one of the few charities I'll actually endorse because I know them. I've worked with them. And I know almost all of the money that you donate goes to help people. Go to m25m.org. m25m.org. If you are trying to quit drinking or doing too many drugs, listen to me. You don't know me and we'll never meet. I had a problem like you once. I drank and used to party a little too much till it got out of control and almost ruined my life. I realized I needed help to fix my problem before it totally destroyed me. If you've tried to fix your drinking and drug problem and you know you can't do it alone, you need to call the National Treatment Advisors. They'll immerse you into a 30-day program to replace your old habits with new habits and totally change your life. And if you have PPO private health insurance, the entire program may be covered. Fix your problem right now before it gets any worse. Get clean. Call now and learn more. 877-247-1581. Fast Track Student Loans can get your student loans out of default, stop any wage garnishments, stop collection calls, and stop seizure of your tax refund. Give yourself a break. Stop the stress and get your student loan payments down to as little as $25 a month based on what you can afford to pay. 800-709-4395. 800-709-4395. 800-709-4395. 800-709-4395. 
I love American Pride Roasters in the morning. It really gets me off to work. Oh, oh, uh, AmericanPrideRoasters.com. AmericanPrideRoasters.com. And welcome back to the Dr. Ramsey Show. All right, so we just talked about how to uh, buy stock and uh, get that trade executed. So let's say you own the stock now, or it's even before you own the stock. Let's say you want to figure out, you know, if uh, you want to uh, make an investment in a particular company. Where do you go to get uh, information? And how do you how do you research a company? Well, most people don't know. You can do most of this for free. Uh, obviously, you can Google a company and uh, get information right uh, off the Internet. But if you really want to go see the... Uh, kind of the heart of the information and what uh, what the company's filing with the Securities and Exchange Commission, you can go right out to the SEC site. And uh, I'm going to kind of walk you through it on where to go, and it will talk about the kind of information you can get from the SEC uh, following this process. So the website you go to is www.sec.gov, G-O-V. So it's for the Security and Exchange Commission government site. So sec.gov, get out to that homepage. And when you get at that homepage, you go to uh, the company um, search. They've got a drop down menu and uh, go down, look for filings. And then once you click on filings, you go to company search and then it has a box there and you can put in the company name or you can put in the ticker symbol. I've found that when I put the ticker symbol in, it doesn't seem to be quite as reliable as punching in the uh, the company name with no abbreviations. So uh, this the stock we were talking about was RAP Technologies. You can type in RAP, W-R-A-P, Technologies, and then what it does is real time, it'll narrow down uh, the list, and then you should see the company you're looking for uh, still left on the list, and then you just click on that uh, that company name, and then what it'll do is it'll take you over to uh, the all the filings that are listed for the particular company. So if we're talking about uh, RAP Technologies, it'll launch that, and it goes in reverse chronological order. It's going to have the most recent filing, and then it just works all the way back to uh, when the company uh, wound up going public. I mean, it goes uh, as far back as you've got public company history um, uh, on that particular entity. So if the company's been around for several decades, I mean, you can have pages and pages of filings that the company's made that, uh, you can access. But what are the ones you're looking for when you get out there and, uh, uh, punch up a company? Well, a couple of key ones, uh, if this company's already been around and you're just deciding, Hey, you know, I want to take a look at, um, uh, kind of how big they are. I want to see how much debt they have, how levered they are. Uh, just learn more about the company. You can look up uh, on that that column on the left. The column on the left is going to have the filing type, and you look for 10-Q or 10-K. So that's the number, 10-Q, 10-K. The 10-Qs, are the filings that the company's required to make at the end of every quarter. And then the 10K is the filing that the company makes at the end of the 
fiscal year. So you're going to have three 10Qs per year, and then you're going to have one 10K per year. So uh, you can go there, you click on that uh, filing, let's say it's uh, uh, the 10Q, and then it'll give you a list of uh, documents associated with that filing, and there could be you know, 10 or 15 line items that pop up. Well, typically the very top line item is going to be the full submission, and then all the other line items are usually uh, the exhibits that got filed with that, uh, that 10Q or that 10K. So uh, look, look on line one, you click on that, and then it'll launch the actual 10Q that you want to look at, and it brings it all up. So this is what the company wound up filing. Uh, the 10 Qs are not audited uh, by uh, an accounting auditor. Um, they are unaudited financials. But I can tell you the companies that are public are going through their same procedures from quarter to quarter uh, that they do at year end. So uh, they'll stay consistent with applying all the generally accepted accounting principles because at the end of the year, when they do get a an audit by uh, an independent auditor, which would be, you know, if you pick the big four, it'd be KPMG and um, PwC and, and the like. Well, uh, they're going to want to make sure that everything stayed uh, consistent so that uh, at year end, they get a clean audit or a clean bill of health and they don't get what's called a qualified opinion. Qualified opinion means that outside auditor found some you know, material misstatements uh, and some problems where uh, things were booked incorrectly. You know, one of the one of the big areas or hot buttons for incorrect booking, especially with the tech companies early on, was revenue recognition. Um, when do you book the revenue off of uh, subscription contracts for? Um, software applications and so forth. And some companies would book it all in the quarter that they got the initial order um, when the accounting literature would say, hey, you got to spread it out as uh, people are going to use it. You got to spread that uh, payment across that lifespan of that contract and recognize just a portion uh, in each, uh, each quarter and not roll it all uh, up front because you get this distorted view of uh, revenue and income for the business. But um, that's an example where you might see a problem. But typically, uh, companies go through uh, a lot of internal control work to make sure that they're following uh, the accounting principles and and not running afoul of them. Uh, I can tell you, I was working on a project recently and the auditing firm sent me a questionnaire, and I'm not kidding, that was 155 pages long. And this questionnaire ran through all the key accounting provisions that uh, we needed to um, cover and see if see if it applied, number one. A lot of them didn't, but um, they go through and say, does it apply, yes or no? And then if it applies, uh, are we taking these steps or booking it, you know, a specific way? And what they're doing is they're tying each of these questions back to the accounting principles and accounting literature 
to make sure that we're doing uh, the booking the way the accounting literature requires it to be done. And so we kind of do our own self-assessment for you this questionnaire and then supply that back to the auditor. The auditor looks through it, sees if they've got any uh, questions over and above uh, what was in the, the document um, based on their review of our answers. And then uh, we follow up from there. You know, and then the next step is they go through and they take a look at the financials that were prepared. And keep in mind, the company prepares all this. The auditor just comes in, reviews it, tests it, bounces bounces everything up against the rules. Uh, and then if they see something that doesn't line up, they discuss it with management and say, hey, you know, you ought to uh, change how you uh, are writing this uh, paragraph up uh, in the footnotes or hey, you ought to, you ought to uh, rebook uh, this particular transaction this way as opposed to the way you did it. So uh, the auditors will, you know, work with you on on making sure everything's jiving and, and it all looks good. So once you finish up that process, then the auditor's um, going to supply an audit opinion letter that uh, you'll see in the 10, 10K and that audit opinion letter goes at the front of the financials in the 10K. And remember, the 10K is the the annual uh, filing uh, that covers the, the whole year. And that audit opinion letter says, hey, uh, in our opinion, you know, these financial statements match up with uh, generally accepted accounting principles. And we don't see um, a couple of things. We don't see a going concern problem which is where a company may have a liquidity issue or they say um, uh, they may have a problem with internal controls. And that's where you get into the whole Sarbanes-Oxley and Sox uh, review steps, which we're not going to get into on the show today. We've talked about it uh, previously, but um, uh, the accountants, the auditors are going to be scrubbing everything in that 10K. All right, so you can go to the 10Qs and the 10Ks. And like I said, there's three 10Qs a year. There's one 10K. And then the other thing you can do, you go out to that company's website. And all the public companies have uh, websites now, and it's very common where uh, they have an investor's tab uh, up at the top. You click on that, and it'll take you right to these same filings. So if you don't want to go to the sec.gov site, um, you can go to the company's website click on investors, then go find SEC filings, and they'll have them listed there. And they come in uh, PDF form. They come in Word forms. Uh, sometimes they come in Excel form. But they'll have the little icons there. You click the one that uh, you want to use. I typically use PDF. And then um, you can open it up. And the great thing about PDF, if you got the uh, DC Pro version, uh, you can do a find uh search so you click on find and then type in the keyword you're looking for and it'll take you right to it and uh, you can walk through the document and locate things quickly if uh, if you're looking for a specific um, topic or specific item uh, to see if the company addressed that all right so uh, you got the q's and the k's next thing you're looking for are the uh, proxy statements and the proxy statements are interesting because the proxy statements are going to have everything the shareholders voted on uh, at that last stockholders meeting. And it has 
bios on the board of directors. It tells you um, who the management team is. And we're talking about the C-level executive, C being CEO, CFO, um, chief accounting officer, and so forth. So it'll have a list of the management team. Then it's going to give you a an ownership table and tell you who the largest shareholders are. And we're talking about big ones, the institutional shareholders and then what management the directors own uh, individually. Then you get to the comp section, and usually the comp section uh, is getting a lot of attention these days, and the proxy rules required much more fulsome uh, descriptions of what the compensation packages are for the uh, senior management team, which includes uh, you know, base salaries, cash salaries, it includes stock options if there are any. It'll include other benefits, um, 401k matching, and so forth. So you can really see the breakdown of what the uh, uh, payment structure was for uh, each of these uh, executive officers in that section. And then anything else that got voted on. So the auditor gets voted on uh, typically every year and, and so forth. But you can see see that and that's where uh, people that are really concerned about a mismatch in compensation levels will go to that proxy statement to uh, determine that and one of the new disclosure requirements is you got to show how much more the ceo is making than the uh the mean average of uh non-executive officers uh i think that was the the requirement of it, but um, you're trying to, and in that measurement, you're trying to uh, get a gauge of uh, whether that CEO's making a disproportionate amount versus uh, the typical worker at that company. So, a lot of interesting things to uh, pull out of the proxy statement. Now, if you're looking at a newer company, one that uh, might not uh, even have gone public yet. Uh, here's where you go. If you if they file what we call a preliminary prospectus, so they're ready to do an IPO um, or they're, they're gearing up to do an IPO and uh, they've gone through all the steps to the point where um, they file publicly a preliminary prospectus, you're going to have typically just one entry under that company. It'll be, it'll be out on that sec.gov site. You type in that company name and the entry is going to be an S-1. And an S-1 is that preliminary prospectus or what we call a red herring. And the red herring is going to have all the information that's in a, a finished prospectus, except there's going to be no stock price in there yet because uh, the IPO hasn't occurred and the uh, underwriters haven't set that opening uh uh, price or price price the uh, issue yet. So uh, everything that has to do with the stock price is blank. And that means the capitalization table, which shows you, hey, uh, this company's planning on selling 40 million shares at um, uh, whatever X, uh, and you're going to get a total. Well, those tables that have the totals uh, are going to have blanks where uh, anything that's impacted by that uh, unknown stock price uh, would show up. So um, just keep that in mind. But it'll have the guts. It'll have everything else. 
what the business strategy is, write-ups on the management team. Uh, it'll have their uh, audited financials in the back. And keep in mind, it's um, they're going public, so they've been private so far. And those audited financials are going to be audited financials of uh, the business wallet's been private over the last uh, typically three years. When you do an S1, you usually have to do a three-year look back on uh, on the audit, and you drop those financials and and the audit opinion into the back of that prospectus. And uh, the acronym or the short name for that financial section is the F pages, because uh, some underwriters have a style where once you get to the financial page section, you actually switch from numerical numbering. So it might've gone from one to 90 on the front part of the prospectus. And then starting on page 91 is the financial section and they start a different numbering scheme. And it starts with F dash one and then F dash two for page two of the financials and then F dash three. So you go F one to whatever F 50 on the back part of the prospectus. So that's just the nickname for it. The F pages, uh, other underwriters have a style guide that says, Hey, we just stay numerically from front to back. So we start on page one and it goes to page 140, and you don't have any F dash one, F dash two or anything, uh, in the financial It's just, uh, consecutive all the way to the very last page of the document. So that S one can give you great information about a pending IPO and, uh, you know, if, you want to try to participate in an IPO uh, as an investor, you can contact your brokerage firm and say, hey, I've got an interest in this. I want to put in an order for X. And uh, whether or not it'll get filled is, uh, is a big question mark because the, the company management is going to go out and do roadshows. Uh, they do the roadshow for, you know, one to two weeks where they're visiting institutional investors. And then on the night before they <clears throat> they go effective and actually start trading on the stock exchange, they have a pricing meeting after their last roadshow meeting. They go over to their lead underwriter's office and they set the price for the IPO. <clears throat> and the, the preliminary prospectus can have a range. Let's say that range was 10 to $12 a share. Uh, that they think um, it's going to price at. And at the pricing meeting, you settle on uh, the actual uh, price that uh, uh, the underwriter is going to buy the shares at. And that price is going to be a huge function of what the demand is uh, that got generated during the roadshow. So if you had a big groundswell of demand uh, as the roadshow progresses through the, the week or the two weeks, um, you could price at the top of the range, you know, closer to the $12 and maybe even price over the $12 if it's a really hot offering. Uh, if it's not being received quite as much and you don't have uh, as big a book of orders from the institutions, then it might be pricing down at the bottom of the range around that $10 uh, mark. So uh, once it gets priced, and this is in consultation with senior management at that pricing meeting, then that price that gets settled on is what the underwriter is going to buy the entire issue at. 
Uh, let's say it's the $12 a share. And um, then a uh, couple people go down to the printer's office. They drop that $10 a share in all the way through that preliminary prospectus. They fill in all those blanks. They calculate the aggregate amounts in all the tables, the cap table, the dilution table, and everywhere else it drops in. And then overnight, magically, uh, it gets printed uh, and turned into a final prospectus. And those final prospectuses get delivered out to uh, all the investment banks that participated. And then it goes out to all the shareholders that um, participated. And what can happen is if you've got a big demand, uh, the allocations, people are going to get cut back on those. And those allocations, let's say Fidelity uh, puts in for a million shares where there's so much demand, they uh, could get cut back to 500,000 shares uh, on the on the final allocation. And, and you work through the whole list that way. And uh, the whole group that put in for 50,000 shares a piece may get cut back to 25,000 shares. So you work through the order book from front to back and you cut everybody uh, down to a level where it equals the number of shares that you wind up issuing at the end of the day. And that's the process. So, But you can get out there on that sec.gov site, find those preliminary prospectuses before the IPO even happens, study up on the company and see if it's something you want to put an order in on, and then call your brokerage house and say, I want to put in for you know 10,000 shares, 5,000 shares. Uh, but be aware, you're probably going to get cut back because um, these brokerage houses will put in their aggregate order. They're going to add up everybody's indications of interest, yours and everybody else that's a client of, say, E-Trade or whoever the firm is. They're going to take that total and put it in. Well, that's on the order book now. And if that total gets cut in half, your allocation is going to get, uh, get cut in half. So, uh, it works, uh, kind of works through that process. And then when uh, it goes effective, you can go right back out to that SEC site. And that S1 now becomes a four, uh, 423B, 424B. You look for that symbol um, and uh, click on that. And it will have the final prospectus, which means all those blanks are filled in. And that's what's getting sent out to uh, all the, uh, the shareholders that wound up um, getting allocations in the IPO. Well, that final prospectus has the, com- the complete document set and um, uh, you're all set to go. So that's how a company goes public, or at least uh, from the investor side, you can um, find information on it. And there's a lot of other steps that a company goes through to, to do it. But from the investor perspective, those are the only two uh, documents that you're going to have access to is a retail investor, that S1, which is the red herring, and then that final prospectus. But by the time you see the final prospectus, if you didn't get an order in through your brokerage house, then you're going to be doing a trade um, on the open market. And now it's trading publicly, and you would just go through and put an order in, just like we talked about earlier on the wrap uh, Technologies transaction, you go through the same steps. If you missed the boat or you didn't get any shares allocated uh, of the IPO, because a lot of people see the, you know, it priced at $12 and it opened at $40 a share. 
well, you want to try to get that win right there. But usually it's the institutions that get that big markup out of the gate. But after that first minute of trading, then you can get out there and buy uh, shares on the open market. And, um, you know, it, if it does open at 40 bucks uh, and it's trading around 40, that's what you're going to have to wind up paying if you want to get in on this deal uh, at that point in time. So that's why people love IPOs if they have the buying power, the brokerage firm can get the allocations because they're they're hoping that they pay 12, it opens at 40 on that very first trade uh, um, in the morning when that company goes public. And then you, you, know, you buy at 12, you can sell at that 40 if it's up there, or you can hang on and hope it keeps going up. Um, and you can hang on for a long time and uh, uh, make a bunch of money. It just depends on the company. Look at Amazon now. Amazon correct 3,000 and is just on fire. And, you know, who would have thought uh, the pandemic would roll along and all of a sudden Amazon's just jumping off the launching pad. Just uh, uh, crazy how much money you could have made in that stock. And there's other examples of that as well. On the flip side, there's probably more examples of companies that have gone public that uh, might have cratered or just underperformed or got over leveraged and wiped out. So uh, everything has risk and that's why uh, you've got to look at that preliminary prospectus and see what the risk factors are and see if you're willing to uh, take a flyer and, and get out there and, and uh, uh, you know, take a chance with an IPO. They're a lot of fun, but uh, uh, you've got to be willing to be able to lose all of the money you're, you're putting up. All right. Uh, Let's talk a little bit about premium finance insurance. Had a call the other day uh, with uh, the team at uh, U.S. Bank out of Los Angeles. And U.S. Bank is doing a great program on premium finance insurance. I've talked about it in detail before. And this is where you can borrow the premium payment for uh, index universal life policies. And all you do is pay the interest and they, the bank pays the premium for you. So you lever that money and you can wind up with a great, great uh, estate value uh, for not a lot of money out of pocket. And it's gotten so good now with the rates down. Uh, U.S. Bank is, is doing these loans down below 2%. Uh, they're talking about all in rates that are uh, uh around 1.8%, which, I mean, it's practically free. So you can control uh, if you meet their underwriting criteria and you've already got a decent estate size um, where you can support the interest payments, you can control a lot of uh, insurance value and a lot of cash value for very little money uh, per year. uh, And it's tough to beat especially if you're doing an IUL and you've got a floor uh, built into it. And if you build a floor in like a 1% floor, that means even when the market tanks, uh, you're a winner. Now you got to, you got to put a cap on there and that cap just says, Hey, if it goes, if the SP 500 index goes above 12%, let's say um, you don't get the upside above that, but uh, look, would you rather sleep at night? Make sure you got it great cash value, which you can access and you don't have to go to the bank and fill out a loan application and have some gigantic 
FICO score that's impossible to reach and all that. Um, you know, this is the way to do that. So uh, if you're uh, thinking about a solution like that or uh, have any more uh, questions on it, uh, be sure and call Tony. Uh, and this is the same Tony Vaccaro I talked about in the first half hour. Uh, he can help you walk through uh, that particular solution. That's Tony at 214 837 or com. All right, there's a lot of information uh, in that hour. Uh, Ron, we covered a lot of things, and hopefully uh, uh, some of the listeners are going to get out there and make some of these trades, and uh, we'll see you on the, uh, the Fortune Billionaires list pretty soon. All right, uh, we'll see you next week. You've been listening to the Dr. Doug Ramsey Show, and just remember you can't make dough without Doug. See you next time. This is the seditious, rabble-rousing, liberty-loving, home of fun, entertaining, and compelling talk. Mojo Five O. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.